0: Welcome to the Unitarian Church of Los Alamos and this video worship for March 14th, 2021. As Unitarian Universalists, we affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of all people and gather together in a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. Whoever you are, whomever you love, wherever you are at this moment on your life's journey, you are welcome to be a part of this community. I invite you, especially if you are coming to us for the first time through these video services, to take a moment to connect with us on Facebook, to join our virtual fellowship hall there. Take a moment to sign our virtual guest book, where you can sign up for our email list, and check a box to have a call from me if you would like. And as always, email me with any questions you might have about what you experienced during these video worships. I am happy to have a conversation with you. The links for all of those can be found in the service notes below this video. Once again, we are glad you are with us, even at a distance. And I hope that we will get to see your face in person soon. Enter into this place at a time of your own choosing. Enter knowing we are still connected by the spirit of life. Enter knowing we are still connected, if not by our breathing together, then at least by the pulse of electrons over air. Enter with all your worry and all your joy. Bring your anxieties and your gifts of comfort. As we light our chalice, may your own home light burn brightly as well. It is good to be together, however we might gather. Let us open our minds and our hearts to one another as we gather once again to worship. Please join with us now in reciting our weekly affirmation. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest for truth is its sacrament, and service is its prayer. To, to dwell together in peace, peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve life in fellowship, to the end that all souls shall grow in harmony, thus to covenant with each and with all. We light a candle this week for Teresa Glasscock, mother-in-law of Christy O'Brien, who died earlier last week. Christy asks for prayers for herself and for the whole Glasscock family during this time of grief and change. For all our joys, all our sorrows, whether we share them with one another or hold them close to our hearts, let us be together in a moment of silence. Please join with me now in a spirit of prayer and reflection. Eternal and beloved, gracious source of all life and all love, we are grateful today for this time out of time which we have set apart so that we might become more fully present to ourselves, to our communities, to that which we call holy. May our joys be celebrated together, our wounds be healed together, our hearts be opened together. Beloved, as of this week, we have spent one full year apart. We pause this morning to name and lift up the jumble of feelings we hold. We grieve for those we have lost, whether COVID took them or whether the pandemic took away our chances to be together to mourn their loss. We call forth their names and their faces from the depths of our hearts this day, holding them in love and in light. We hold in our prayers all those who are recovering from COVID and those long haulers who are dealing with the lasting effects of this illness. We hold in love all those who have lost work during this pandemic, those whose schooling has been interrupted those who struggle to parent while working from home, those frontline workers who are at risk every day, and those who feel the ache of isolation and loneliness. We think of all the occasions, holidays, and celebrations we missed this year. We think of the last time we sang together in our sanctuary, not knowing how long it would be until we would be able to safely do so again. And we also give thanks for the gifts we have found amid the loss and the distance. This community has been so creative, so courageous, so caring, finding ways to stay connected, steadfastly reaching out to one another. We give thanks for the ways we have been able to grow the boundaries of our community beyond geography, welcoming in those dear ones from far away. And we give thanks for the human miracle of three vaccines making their way to us in less than a year, each one a cause for celebration and relief. Holy One, source of resilience, help us to hold on through whatever may yet come. May we be resolute of heart as we mask up, as we continue to care for each other by keeping distance, knowing it at last to be an act of love. May we be open and curious about the possibilities that unfold before us, seeing the ways that we can get not just back to normal, but forward to better. All this we pray in the names of those known and unknown, present and absent, remembered and forgotten, in the names of all the helpers of humankind. Amen. there was a man once out for his morning walk along the beach. Further down the coast, he saw the figure of a young child leaping and dancing and twisting their body in the sand. No doubt, he thought, celebrating the Wonderful day that was soon about to begin. The man walked down the beach and continued to approach the child, and the closer he got, he saw that the child was not, in fact, dancing, but was bending over to sift through the sand and the debris that was left back by the tide, and stopping every so often. to pick up a starfish in their small hands and toss them out into the water again. The man asked, Why are you doing this? The child said, The tide has washed the starfish onto the beach and they cannot return to the sea by themselves. When the sun rises, they will die, unless I throw them back to the sea. The man was perplexed by these actions. He thought what the child was doing was hopeless. There are more starfish on this beach, he said, than you will ever have time to get to before the sun rises. You cannot expect to make a difference. Surely. The child paused briefly and thought about what the man had said. And then they bent over to pick up another starfish and toss it into the water. I made a difference to that one, said the child. And the man walked back up to the beach, deep in thought about what the boy had said. And the next morning, he returned to find the boy once again, bending over and wildly tossing starfish out into the water. And he spent the rest of the day with the child, helping in that small act of making a difference. Our reading this morning comes to us from a reader submission to an article in the HuffPost titled, Small Things Make a Big Difference. This comes from Doug in Chicago. I was walking down Michigan Avenue last Tuesday when I passed a group of teenagers who looked like they were up to no good. They fit the parts, flat bill hats, bagging pants, and loud. As I walked ahead of them, I gave little thought to who they were as people. As I continued to walk, I passed a lady in a corner sleeping with her two girls on the ground. She had a look of desperation, the kind that can't be manufactured. She was clearly worn out from life and had a simple sign that said, please help. It was a plea that I ignored at first. I walked another block and those words stayed with me. I turned around to offer some help and as I did, the group of teenage boys had caught up to me and I noticed one of them quietly slip away from the group and drop dollars next to this worn woman. Unlike me, this young man didn't hesitate. He responded to her please help sign immediately. I dropped all the money I had in my wallet next to her and said a few words that seemed completely inadequate. I was humbled and was taught something by a young man who didn't intend to do anything but the right thing. Thank you. So here we are, one year later, after shutting everything down physically in our building and moving into this video worship mode, and what a year it has been. A year of far too much. The phrase that popped out of my mouth months ago and still seems to apply so aptly when I look at everything going on around me and I just cannot deal is that everything is just too everything. The ongoing COVID pandemic, the frustration of a slow rollout of the vaccine waiting for everybody to get what is rightly theirs, all of the mounting and intersecting injustices at the world that I rage against and feel powerless against walking into my kitchen at five o'clock at night and deciding, what are we going to have for dinner? All of it, all of it is just too much. There is too much piling on in life throughout this year. And over and over, I find I struggle with the question of where to begin. Where do I start with all of this? Now, after the murder of George Floyd, I gave a sermon where I said, what we do in the face of all this is the next small, smart thing. The next small thing. And this came to me inspired by my work in improvisation, where we are told over and over again that no single one of us is responsible for telling the whole story at all. All we are required to do is just give the next small bit that we have from the top of our intelligence. Use what we know in the moment. Now that we are entering the time of the trial of Floyd's murder, Derek Chauvin, and this anniversary of the COVID pandemic, the impossible bigness of everything is just making itself plain once again. Just confronting us with the immensity of it all. And yet, this month we talk about commitment. Last week I said that as Unitarian Universalists, we are committing as people of faith to being the hands of this unshakable, infinite love. We are committing to loving beloved community into being. Where do we start? In the face of all this, what do I give you this morning, but that old chestnut of the story of the starfish thrower. Now, I've used it before, several times. And that story has made sense in the moment. When I want to talk about the power of one individual to make change in the world, it's easy when change doesn't feel so insurmountable. But in the face of right now, Somehow, that story, as much as I love it, seems a little flip, maybe? A little too shallowly self helpish, perhaps? I found myself this week, after I had said that we were going to talk about saving the world one starfish at a time, that that story this week just seems naive in the face of everything, and I'm going to be honest. Going over it again, it left me feeling a little cold. But here's the thing. That, that story has been filtered down over the years from its original telling. And it has taken on the guise of an old wisdom tale. And sometimes the starfish thrower is a boy. Sometimes the starfish thrower is a Native, Native American elder Sometimes a Buddhist monk, some wise figure for the every man who we are supposed to identify with, to confront. And always in the telling of this tale, the cynical other chides the starfish thrower for the futility of their actions. And the wise one responds, Well, it matters to this one. And overcome by the simple wisdom, the doubter joins in. And that's the end of the story. It has become a staple of self-help motivational speakers over the year, which would explain why it has that kind of flavor of self-helpishness. It's used in these settings as a tale with the moral about the power of you, your individual power to effect change, The individual is lifted up in the story and the others, including the starfish, are means to the own ends of demonstrating our own inner strength and power. And and that inner strength and that power is important to latch onto. But when we're faced with the immensity of everything, it doesn't feel like enough of an answer. And that power moral is certainly one that I've used before. And partly because I have only ever really read the paraphrases of the story, the old wisdom tale versions as they have been passed down and have stripped away the credit to the original author. I found myself this week needing to find more in the tale, and so I did something I had never done before. I turned to the original telling from its author Lauren Isley was an American anthropologist and poet. And the story, as we hear it, comes out of a much larger essay titled The Star Thrower that he wrote in the late 60s. And that essay is about more than just the power of you. In fact, I would doubt that Isley would say that what he was writing about was the power of me at all. The essay as a whole, the 33 pages of it, is about coming to terms with the dissonance in the human mind and in our understanding between the forces of chaos and order that are our reality, the forces of death and of life. In Isley's telling, he is the cynical man of the story, and he narrates narrates it as a memoir from his own point of view, and that's the only point of view we get in the story. And he begins it in a sense of deep despair. He has just started to deal with the death of his own mother. And in his professional life, the more he studies all of humanity and the history of science and what modernity uncovers, He's come to this sinking feeling that all the modern era does in all of its wisdom is just reveal more and more of the chaos that lies beneath everything that we think is orderly. Every time we think we've found some order in the universe, further study reveals the disorder underneath it. And at the end of it all is just death. And that is where he begins this story. And so he travels far away from home, goes to a remote beach village. He's unclear in the essay whether he's trying to escape something or whether he is going in search of something. But he decides to take a walk on the beach early one morning. And he describes himself this morning as just an empty skull, devoid of anything. The only thing in that skull is just one eye that shines a searchlight out over the beach. And the only thing that searchlight is capable of illuminating is further evidence of all the chaos and death that he feels himself mired in. An empty skull with an eye that can only see chaos. Which is a striking Description. I sat with that for quite a while, that paragraph, before I moved on in the essay, because I really resonated with that image. This overarching sense, I'm starting to realize, of everything feeling too much and too big, is undergirded by this sense of chaos, of things I cannot ultimately control. And so as a POV character, I'm right there with Isley at that moment. Perhaps not wallowing as much as he has is during the story, but I'm there nonetheless. Isley walks down the beach early in the morning because that is when the shell collectors are out, and he wants to see what they are up to. The tide has gone out and has washed on the beach many, many simple sea creatures, most of whom at this point who are dead or dying, all of them being snatched up by these collectors who will sell them from their shops throughout the village and who will, in the pursuit of that tourist dollar, kill whatever's inside those shells that's not already dead. All Isley can see is more and more death happening in front of him as he walks along the beach, and this only throws him into a deeper, deeper spiral. So it's a miracle at all that he sees the rainbow down the shore and that's what he describes a rainbow and a shadow dancing and leaping amidst it and he feels compelled to walk towards it obviously another collector joyous at the bounty he has found he thinks but as he approaches the shadow and the rainbow recedes away he sees instead a man picking up starfish who are struggling to lift themselves out of the sand and tossing them with a mighty arm as far as he can out into the water. I'm in the business of life, says the man. I collect, but only for the living. And Isley, unlike the cynical person in the story as we often hear it, does not chide the starfish-thrower about the futility of his actions. Instead, his response is this embarrassment that he does not understand and some defensiveness about who he is. "'I do not collect,' he writes. I said to him uncomfortably, the wind beating at my garments, "'Neither the living nor the dead. I gave it up a long time ago. Death is the only successful collector.'" I walked away, leaving him there upon the dune, with that great rainbow ranging up the sky behind him. For a moment, in the changing light, the sower appeared magnified, as though casting larger stars upon some greater sea. He had, at any rate, the posture of a god. Back at his hotel room, thinking about the man he has encountered, Isley starts to ponder his relationship and, in fact, all of humanity's relationship to all there is of life, large and small. And he finds himself coming to an understanding that each moment, at least as far as he can see it, is a choice between this chaos and this disorder. Either he can participate in life and thus make life worth living, Or he can give in to that sense of chaos and despair that he is feeling so deeply and ultimately disconnect from life. And he comes to the conclusion that human life is not worthwhile unless it is itself upholding all life, large and small. And so he returns to the beach the next morning and finds the thrower. I understand, I said. Call me another thrower. Only then I allowed myself to think he is not alone any longer. After us, there will be others. In picking up the stars on his own and tossing them out into the sea and joining that creative ritual, Isley finds a sense of his own creative power in that moment and has a glimpse of his small power being part of something much larger. Now even this this is too brief and shallow, a summary of everything going on in this essay. There are depths within his story that are still there for me to plumb. And yet in my brief encounter with it, here's what I've been sitting with this week. Isley's original story demonstrates a much deeper sense of our interdependence with one another than the simple ancient wisdom tale version does. He finds hope in his connection to other life. He needs another person who is hopeful to demonstrate how to act upon it because he cannot find the way on his own. He cannot do it alone. And two, while he seems to wallow in this despair, and he writes about it so beautifully... It is the lives and the deaths of the simpler sea creatures and not his own life that centers into his concern almost from the very beginning. And by the end he comes to an acceptance of his own small imperfect self and finds a place for his finiteness within the larger whole in the face of chaos, upholding life, Becomes the only answer that makes sense to him. And here we are. Everything is to everything. Chaos abounds. And I know I cannot fix all of this. The reality. Of my own smallness and my own imperfection in the face of all of this chaos and all of this disorder that underlies all of the injustice and all of the frustration that I have experienced in this last year, that reality of my smallness and imperfection is inescapable. So the question becomes for me and for all of us how do we respond to that reality? More often than not, we freeze up. I know that's my initial response, the flight or fright or fight response. I freeze in fright in the immensity of it all, not because I am afraid of it, but because I'm afraid of my own smallness. And the instinct in the face of that fear is to quietly rage against my own flawed finiteness. But what if we embrace our smallness? What if we embrace our own flaws and our finitude? It seems to me then that it is our very smallness itself that is the thing that frees us from the fear, the thing that frees us from freezing, from feeling like we are solely responsible for the big fix to everything. Because we are finite, all we can do are finite things. Everything we attempt is the next small thing in the face of the disorder and the chaos that undergirds so much of the big stuff that overwhelms us in this year and in other moments, I think we do well to embrace our small place in the larger whole. Commit to this unshakable love by doing the next small thing that upholds and honors all life. Especially when that life is not simply just our own. What is that next small thing? I can't answer that question for you. It comes from the top of your own intelligence. And still, it doesn't even need to come from you. There is no need for the next small thing that comes from within you to be a unique act, to be wholly original and of your own invention. We simply need to look to others to be inspired uh, by them and to join in with them. We need to be willing to be not just creators of the new thing, but the Dugs of Chicago of the world who can turn around when their conscience gets the better of them and see what another is doing and learn from them and repeat the action and repeat it again and do that small thing again. Because the practice of the small acts over and over and over creates a habit within us over time. And imagine, imagine for a moment what the world would become, what we would become as a people if honoring life in the face of chaos were to become habitual. If it became a matter of course, we would never freeze again. And as that habit grows within us, And as we do it over and over again, it calls out to others to join us, the other dugs of the world, to turn around, the Isleys in despair, to see what we are doing to demonstrate how hope is still possible. Because in spite of our smallness, in spite of the fact that we are not gods, if we can do this, we will be seen finally as a thing we are committed to being, the hands and the hearts of that greater love that lives amidst all of this chaos. We cannot fix all of this. And we do not have to. We just have to do what we know, what we see others demonstrating for us, The next small thing, and the next, and the next. Standing up for life, and for the worth of all life. And refusing to give in to the chaos. May it be so. For the month of March, 100% of our weekly offerings will be given to Tierra del Oro, a migrant shelter in Puerto Palomas, Mexico. Tierra del Oro is a small, short-term shelter for asylum seekers. All monies collected this month will be sent to the UU Social Justice Network at the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of Silver City, New Mexico, who are working to deliver supplies and funds to the shelter each week. Please use the Givelify app on your mobile device to make your donation or use the link in the service notes below. Please use the Givelify app on your mobile device to make your donation or use the link in the service notes below. May what you give bring you joy. Friends, may life bless us and keep us. May the light of life shine upon us and out from within us and be gracious to us and bring us peace. For this is the day. This is the one wild and precious life we have been given. So let us all find a way to rejoice and be glad in it. Go in peace.